0: In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16, verses 19 to 20, we read, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. So how are you doing? (laughs) I hope you're doing well. My name is Doug Hooley, and welcome to the Called Out Cafe podcast. I'm glad you're listening today. This is episode number five in our series titled, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about where new gods come from. So, let me start this episode by taking you back, way back. Eve was in the most sacred place on earth, a garden designed by God where he could directly interact with the humans that he'd created. It was there that God walked and talked with them, providing them with face-to-face instruction, encouragement, and love. Well, it happened quickly, and it was subtle. Eve wasn't even aware she was being deceived. The primal world had not known falseness, but being unaware of deception is the nature of deception or being deceived, Eve found herself listening to and accepting slightly misrepresented truth that would change the course of human history. There was only one thing God had said Eve and her husband could not do to stay in the right relationship with himself. One thing to keep straight. That was, don't eat the fruit from that one tree in the center of the garden. Every other tree in the entire world was okay to eat from. The forbidden tree in the center of the garden may have looked like every other tree. I know that we always paint the picture like it was this unique, one-of-a-kind tree, but Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture only indicates it was special and set apart because God said it was, not necessarily because it was unique or a different species or looked any different. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says this So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, the fruit may have appeared identical to the fruit on every other tree that Eve had already eaten from. How else would Eve have known that it was good to eat and healthy for the body? If that tree in the center of the garden was just like every other tree that she'd eaten from and didn't appear to her to offer anything that the other trees could offer, how much more outrageous would that have made it for Eve to eat from the forbidden tree? If that's true, she could have eaten the same fruit from any other tree. All we know for sure is that both Adam and Eve knew the one particular tree was forbidden to eat from. yet. They couldn't resist the forbidden fruit. There was no other behavior that would cause Adam and Eve to have trouble with God. They could have smoked the seven-leafed weed that made them feel hungry and mellow that grew down by the Euphrates or Tigris. They could have like, senselessly done naughty things with, you know, pick your naughty things with pigeons. <laughs> killing them dead for no reason. Pick your worst behavior a human could engage in in a garden where only one other person existed, and that would have been okay with God. There was only one sin at that time that would harm their relationship with their Creator. One way to do something wrong that would have any significant ramifications. One way to offend God by doing something contrary to what he said was the right thing to do. Because God only had one rule for humans. All Adam and Eve had to do to be in right standing with God was not do one thing. Listening to deceptive teaching from the serpent, Satan, that differed with the extremely simple message God communicated to Adam and his wife, led them into making a decision that put them in opposition to God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had been created themselves be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. While Eve was deceived, Adam knew what he was doing when he ate the forbidden fruit. He knew eating the fruit would put him in opposition to what God wanted him to do, yet he decided he knew a better way for himself and committed the original sin that would lead to death the original proto-sin that served as a pattern for every sin that has followed. He opposed the wisdom of God and followed his own wisdom. He placed his will and his authority above the will and authority of God. He positioned himself in a place above God. The same ugly thing that happens every time anyone sins. To us living in this age, This simple plan of remaining in right relationship with God sounds entirely too good to be true. Simply, don't do one thing. Don't eat from that one tree and it'll all be okay for you for all eternity. How could Adam and Eve have ever screwed that up? Today, God again challenges us with news that sounds just too good to be true. But instead of asking us not to do one thing, He asks us to do one thing, to put us in right relationship with Him. If we do that one thing, it will all be okay for all of eternity. That is to believe on the one whom He sent. But believing in the one that God the Father sent, His Son, Jesus, has turned out to not be a very easy thing to do. In fact, apart from the Holy Spirit causing this thing to happen, it's impossible. People don't necessarily have a hard time with the concept of God. According to a poll cited by Reuters, only 18% of the world's population do not believe in some sort of God. What people have a hard time with is believing in the simplicity and goodness of the one true God's plan. The enemy, Satan, and his favored tool, deception, has again infiltrated the metaphorical garden And again seeks to deceive. This metaphorical garden is Jesus's garden. It's the Ecclesia. Deception going on in the name of Jesus is pervasive in the Ecclesia, so much so that it's created a counterfeit organization, a twisted copy of what Jesus is building out of his own chosen, called out ones. It's called the Human Created Institutional Church. That's the topic of the book I'm currently working on. Rather than believing in the one whom God sent, the real and authentic Jesus of the Bible, one can now easily find a variety of Jesuses to choose from, based on what suits the seeker. A pantheon of false gods now falls under the label of Christianity. There is no worse deceit than that which takes place in the name of Jesus, I am completely convinced that the 21st century Western Church is one of the world's most challenging mission fields. Yes, evangelical churches included. Christians are being deceived every day through a stealthy campaign of evil, despite the many warnings of Jesus regarding deception. Why? He couldn't have been any clearer. One would think, given the serious cautions Jesus gave to the twelve original disciples that walked with Him for years on this earth and knew Him the best, that Christians today would realize that absolutely anyone is vulnerable to deceptive teaching about Him. The fact those who believe they are following Jesus have repeatedly been deceived throughout history has been proven time after time. Throughout documented history, there are more accounts of deceptive teaching within Christendom than instances of clarity which have been glorifying to God. Yet somehow in this modern age of quote enlightenment, unquote, people think they're above falling for a ruse in the name of Jesus. Just like 80 years ago, only a generation ago, and there's still people that remember this that are living and walking the earth today. An entire nation would have said they were above fighting for a man that would murder 6 million Jews. They didn't think they were being deceived. The symptoms of deceit within the Christian religion should be obvious to anyone who studies, not just reads, the Bible and looks to it as their final authority. But, Most have fallen victim to the Christian Jedi mind tricks. They've been sidetracked by traditions, well-entrenched false doctrines, led astray by well-intentioned, loved and trusted pastors, or bought into popular Bible commentaries that are not based in truth. As Jesus predicted when he warned against deception that would come in his name, history has repeatedly repeated itself excuse my redundancy. This is not a problem we can sit in judgment of people who were deceived in foregone long ago days, as if the problem is all in the past. I'm struck by what's going on right now in our world. As I record this, Russia invaded the Ukraine yesterday. And reading comments online, people we're under the impression that mankind has evolved since the last world war and that we would never repeat the mistakes of the past well it's such a truth it's a biblical truth there's a cyclical nature we find in prophecy history repeats itself people were greatly deceived in the past in foregone days well people are still being deceived right now And in fact, Jesus' warning is that it's just going to get worse in the end. We should be looking for this great deception. In Jesus' day, there were evil, off-base doctrines within the Jewish religion that had been long established, accepted, and promoted by the religious authorities. Jesus spoke strongly against these things. Only decades after Jesus ascended... The Apostle Paul was dealing with people in the church turning aside from the true gospel. Paul wrote the following to the church in Galatia. I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Yet, if we or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That's found in Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 9. Now, just like when Jesus and Paul walked the earth, Wrong ideas about God's truth have been grafted in and accepted as a part of the modern Christian culture. There were a few exceptions in Jesus' day, but not every Jewish leader who was a contemporary of Jesus surrendered to deception, Joseph of Arimathea being one of them. There are also a few exceptions today. Regarding belief, there is no safety found in Numbers. There is only safety found in following authentic truth as it's found in the Bible. Every time I hear of anyone in the church basing any type of success on the numbers of people who attend, I cringe. Why? Because whereas Jesus said many would wrongly call him the authentic Jesus, their Lord, he also said that few are chosen and few will find him. Listen to Matthew 22:14, For many are called, but few are chosen. And Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The idea that authentic, Bible-based Christianity will one day become popular and take over the world, short of Jesus' return, is an anti-biblical lie. There is no great revival promised anywhere in the Bible. Sitting in a church with hundreds or even thousands of others is no indication that you are a part of a congregation that is being taught the truth. In fact, based on what I just read and many other scriptures like them, it may be more of an indication that you are not. God will always have His remnant of authentic children that will find the narrow gate and follow Him. However, the few that find the gate must still guard against deception. Today, it's not the skewed beliefs and teachings regarding core essential truths about God put forth by Jewish scribes, Sadducees, and Pharisees that we need to guard against. Now, it's the skewed 21st century teachings of many, again, not all, Christian theologians, professors, authors, pastors, teachers, and podcasters. Every religion attempts to systemize what it's calling God. Systems are created with good intentions in mind. We want to be thorough and make sure we don't miss anything important about God and how to relate to Him. I want to make sure that I am saved, so what's the formula that I need to follow? What exactly do I need to believe and what do I need to say? I want to please God, so what are the specific things that I need to do? This is not to say that we can't recognize truth about God and adopt a worldview based on those truths. It's a caution that although He's revealed Himself to man and there are certain things we do know, the one true God can't completely be systemized. We can only systemize what's been revealed to us through our human senses and understanding and contained in the Bible. Still, the institutions within Christendom attempt to cram the infinite, immortal God into a finite box that can be understood by mere mortals. The problem with systems where God's concerned, you know, I'm talking about theology, systemizing God, is that they turn into religions. The followers of Christ started formally systemizing God in the second century AD as disputes over various issues came up. The Christians built upon the Jewish system, which was largely made up of the Talmud, which is made up of the Torah and oral tradition, which was debated and finally written down by many Jewish scholars from about 500 B.C. to 200 A.D. But additionally, the Christians borrowed customs and holidays and other things from pagan religions and their philosophies. Again, my current book is all about that kind of stuff. A Christian religious hierarchy was formed to settle disputed matters. The marriage of the church and the state took place when Emperor Constantine accepted and promoted Christianity as the new Roman religion. Well, Ever since, kings and governments have had their hands in dictating the nature of God and His church. Even the guidelines for how the beloved King James Version of the Bible was translated were dictated by King James. Regardless of what you think of President Biden or former President Trump, just try and picture either one of them dictating the rules which the Bible is to be translated by. In the 16th century in Zurich, Switzerland, the town council declared that adult baptism was a heresy and illegal, and those who practiced it were to be put to death originally by drowning, the thing that they called the third baptism, because you were baptized as an infant, then you would make the decision to become baptized as an adult, and then finally they would put you to death by drowning you, the third baptism. Governments sent out hundreds of Anabaptist hunters to hunt down those who would be baptized as an adult. They were called Tauphahegas, dunker hunters, The church ended up with a command and control structure that includes popes, bishops, priests, deacons, and elders. Just as sin influences politics now, of course, so it did then. By the fourth century, councils were being called to settle disputes among the leaders of the church. Debate and votes were followed by official opinions and dogma. All in favor that Jesus is divine and not a created being say I. The eyes have it. Jesus is God. The Council of Nicaea is adjourned. Special thanks to our host and sponsor Roman Emperor Constantine. Yeah! By the 16th century the church had become so corrupt that God used a few courageous people to bring about its reformation. For the first time in about a thousand years, like it had just been taken out of a time capsule, people were being exposed to God's authentic truth contained in the Bible, as it was translated into common languages and printed. The job of the Reformers was to remove 1,400 years of accepted, orthodox, religious muck off the top of God's authentic truth. As many changes that came about because of their efforts And as much fighting that took place because of it, including the Thirty Years' War, they experienced only limited success with their reforms. Religious and false doctrinal muck continues to be removed to this day, while very unfortunately, some attempt to pile on new doctrinal sewage. Besides whatever part Satan plays in orchestrating the effort, Every generation introduces new sin-born corruption to the truth. The 19th century saw many new threads of deception, which still heavily influence the church today. For the most part, founders of new religions in the 19th century were not making new believers out of atheists. They were converting Christians into pseudo-Christians. Established Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians We're turning to the teachings of the Millerites, who became the Seventh-day Adventists, to Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, and to Charles Taz Russell, the founder of the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is not to say that anyone who did not convert to a pseudo-Christian religion was safe. They weren't safe from the deception sitting in the pews of the Baptists or any other evangelical churches. False teachings are well-ensconced in those institutions also. For example, the adaptation of John Nelson Darby's theories regarding the timing of the second coming of Jesus were made a part of the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909, and they were widely circulated. Evangelicals who use this reference Bible started looking at Darby's interpretations as though they were just as inspired as the words that were printed next to them in red in the New Testament. Within evangelical churches, this completely false teaching has become accepted as true, typically without any further discussion on the matter even being allowed. People remodel the truth in a way that they can understand and accept it. When a slightly twisted teaching is accepted, spread, and handed down from generation to generation, and the majority buys it, it becomes Orthodox. As truth seekers, every generation of the authentic children of God has an obligation to reaffirm what the authentic truth found in the Bible is. In attempting to define the undefinable God according to our limited human understanding, we have succumbed to the dumbing down of God. We anthropomorphize Him. We tie His hands and make Him dependent on man acting on His behalf. We apologize for His sovereignty and turn Him into something less sovereign so we don't have to offend our 21st century sensibilities. Sometimes, we turn Him into a passive spectator that's losing control of the world. We've concluded that God must need our help. Other times, we reduce the Almighty God to our genie in a bottle who must obey our commands. We present at least part of the gospel, which translates as good news, and then systematically take the good news out of it. Because it sounds a little too good to be true, considering our human reason, we turn the gospel into something that it's not by adding to it or taking away just a few things from it. According to many versions of today's gospel, salvation is no longer good enough, nor is it what Jesus accomplished and he said he will accomplish in the future. Besides salvation, Jesus' followers are now encouraged to earn fabulous prizes that will be handed out in eternity. They'll also need to become better and better behaved through a process called sanctification until the day they die. This systemized limiting and changing of God is only the starting point of what's taking place today in the church that's resulted in postmodern polytheism. Through changing God, Christians have manufactured many new false gods. Together, they are the gods that place people into bondage and promise to make people happy and fulfill fantasies. The understated evil crusade of the enemy within the church appeals to Christians on the same basis that the serpent appealed to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted to become like God and control their own destiny. Humans, who in reality need Jesus, turn Jesus into someone who needs them. Today's popular approach to interpreting and applying scripture to one's life encourages one to customize Jesus to their liking and their needs. Scientists say that apes and humans share over 98% of the same genes. It's like 2% of the genes making the difference between a man and a monkey. A slight change to the important teachings about Jesus turns him into a not-quite-Jesus. A Jesus who's had his God card taken away. Sure, we may start out talking about the same fundamentals regarding the gospel and who Jesus is. You know, he's the son of God. But the devil is literally in the twisted details. When one is caught up in the middle of being deceived, they're in a state of unawareness. It may be that one has been so greatly deceived that they're unknowingly attending a temple of a false god. For anyone who is currently deceived, this all sounds like, if it is true, it applies to everyone else, but it couldn't possibly apply to him or her. No one can think of his or herself as being caught up in a deception that's so great as to lead them even to unintentionally worship a false god. Without even considering the large pseudo-Christian religions like Mormonism, the Church of Scientology, the Jehovah Witnesses, and others, we know that billions of very smart people in the world, in fact, the vast majority of the world's population, are worshiping false gods. Allah, Buddha, the Hindu gods Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma, they all come to mind. There are thousands of others that have names, and many false gods that people call Jesus. The false gods of Christianity can be very difficult to spot. The closer to the real thing they are, the better the deception, and the more difficult they are to identify. Since the beginning, Self-centeredness has been the motivation behind straying from the wisdom of God in favor of one's own wisdom, and it turns out to be foolishness. When God's way doesn't quite get us what we want or make us feel comfortable, we abandon it in favor of a way that we think might better provide for our wants, our gratification, and our comfort. Of course, this takes place subconsciously most of the time. The latest iteration of this phenomenon may be observed in the modern church's adaptation of what can be described as postmodern secular progressivism. Dr. J.A., or Jack Crabtree, author of The Most Real Being, A Biblical and Philosophical Defense of Divine Determinism, contends that there are two different predominant religions that exist in American culture today. Number one is the Christian religion, and number two the postmodern secular progressive religion. The term postmodern, let's talk about that now, has a variety of meanings. It's inherently difficult to define because, according to postmodernism, anyone's definition (laughs) may be as good as the next person's. The elements of postmodernism include believing that truth is relative or that it may not even be possible to know the truth. Maybe the truth is an illusion? Also, Both science and history are in question. Whose version of history do we believe? And how are we to understand history? Instead of seeking truth with a capital T, which is contained in the Bible, postmodernists go with their own very limited ideas of what they individually think the truth is. What's good to me may not be good to you. Should I go with the group consensus? What if group consensus is different tomorrow? History often just needs to be erased and forgotten. And traditional authority is right out. Convention is obsolete. Just look where it got us. So that's postmodernism. Progressives are those who are in favor of social reform through utilizing liberal ideas. They favor an elite educated class to think for the rest of us. The state, who utilizes the services of these elite, educated people, knows what's best for you. Support the state and its higher-thinking leaders, and they'll take care of you. All views are welcome, so long as they don't oppose the views of those who know what's best for you. (laughs) According to Dr. Crabtree, both the Christian and postmodern secular progressive religions are false alternatives to believing the authentic gospel, which is not a religion at all. In view of this, any form of religion can be considered bad. Religion is defined as a system that makes it possible for the adherent of that religion to think of himself as righteous and worthy, even apart from any belief in God. Pastor and theologian and author John R. W. Stott agrees with that. In his book, The Message of Galatians, Pastor Stott writes that humans attempt to establish their own righteousness has, quote, been the religion of the ordinary man both before the time of the Apostle Paul and since. It's the religion of the man in the street today. Indeed, it's the fundamental principle of every religious and moral system in the world, except New Testament Christianity. Attempting to be self-righteous means that one is utterly dependent upon their own efforts. That, as opposed to the work that Jesus already accomplished. The work and purpose of the authentic believer is to know God. That is a work that requires no form of religion. Like Pastor Stott, Dr. Crabtree writes, the only individuals who adhere to no religion at all are authentic followers of Jesus the Messiah. Genuine Jesus followers are committed to truth over any religion and any religious commitments. One can't help but notice some of the similarities between the two religions that Dr. Crabtree identifies when they're compared. On the liberal end of the Christian spectrum, one finds There is no such thing as a value or belief being objectively right or wrong or being objectively true or false. Truth is relative. Regardless of how church apologists try to dress it up, the religion of Christianity has been a tremendous source of evil in the history of the world. The Bible is nothing more than an artifact of human history and culture. Consciousness or life is only possible during physical existence. Death is the end of any conscious experience. The only valid goal for human existence is to work to make material, physical reality a better place for human beings to inhabit. The most significant improvement one can work to bring about is an advance towards social justice. Those are the values of the religious left, okay, just to be clear. The religious values of the postmodern secular progressive religion include equality, where equality is defined as a societal state where every human individual has an equally positive experience. Another one of their values is tolerance, where tolerance is defined as the positive affirmation of the variety of lifestyles, values, and beliefs that are contrary to my own way of life. Freedom from discomfort and danger all values must be sanctioned and supported by, remember, the elite class of the postmodern secular progressivists who know best for us. Those are all the values that are leading to today's uh, wokeism and cancel culture. Anyone can easily see the elements of postmodern secular progressivism reflected every day in the United States as the news media, Hollywood personalities, and Liberal politicians attempt to tell us what not only to do, but how to think and feel. We must be woke. One needs to not only accept the ideals of the liberal elite, but they also need to be happy about it and actively supportive of it. Or risk alienation. One needs to get on board with whatever the current cause is, whether it's the Me Too, Black Lives Matter, or defunding the police, or taking part in Pride Week, or saving the planet. Or they risk being erased or canceled and being cast into outer societal darkness. One needs to accept the truth of all others or have their own truth invalidated. Actor, author, entrepreneur, and philanthropist Oprah Winfrey delivered a speech at the 2018 Golden Globe ceremony that received a great deal of positive press in the wake of the Me Too movement. Oprah was giving her acceptance speech for the prestigious Cecil B. DeMille Award for outstanding contributions to entertainment when she said, What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. The mainstream media buzz following this empowering speech was that Oprah should run for president in the next election. Well, I agree with Oprah. Speaking one's relative truth is a powerful tool, but not for the purpose she was speaking of. Speaking one's own truth is a powerful tool that can be used against authentic truth when it's treated as though it's as valid as the authentic truth. Speaking less than the authentic truth publicly has become so pervasive that when it's called out and recognized, it now has its own term. That's fake news. Acceptance of relative truth within the church does not result in fake news. It results in fake or false gods. This is how postmodernism has completely infiltrated the conservative side of Christianity. The false gods of relative truth and personal preferences are not sovereign. They are gods that are defined by short-sighted, finite, and earthbound, quote, love, unquote. They are gods that may have once had the knowledge, skills, and abilities necessary to create the world, but have lost control of the universe. These modern false gods need our help and our input on how to run the universe, and our permission to proceed with doing so. Even though these gods seem to be powerless to prevent disease and evil in the world, they still can act against evil and disease if we only will have enough faith. The gods of relative truth and personal preference would never sentence anyone to eternal damnation, because I have people who I love. They would be damned if that's true and God loves me too much to put me through that. The gods of relative truth will bend to my every preference and never condemn any of my behaviors because it's all about me and my feelings and comfort. How wide is postmodern progressive Christianity in the church today? Recent studies support the idea that those who call themselves Christians are moving away from the idea that there are absolutes where God is concerned. According to a 2014 religious landscape study conducted by the Pew Research Center, only 76% of Christians in America are absolutely certain that there is a God. Wow, 24% of Christians don't believe or aren't sure that there is a God. 18% of Christians don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. So, what's that? One out of five Christians don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Only 51% believe abortion should be illegal. Only 38%, barely more than one out of three, believe homosexuality should be discouraged. And 44% of Christians believe the same-sex marriage should be acceptable. Almost half. These are not some statistics of 50 years ago. In fact, I challenge anyone to find a survey that even asked such questions in 1970. The answers would have seemed all too obvious. Man, what's happened? Of course, many authentic children of God remain active members across the spectrum of organized Christian religions. What I mean by this is you are going to find authentic believers in Jesus, called out elect ones, sitting in all of the various different denominations across the board. Those who Jesus has called to be saints may stay firmly ensconced in the pews of traditional gatherings of churches on Sunday mornings until Jesus takes them home or he returns. What matters is how God sees their hearts. Do they have the Son, or do they not? Many other authentic children of God who have become disillusioned and confused with what's going on in the name of Jesus are dropping out of what can be traditionally recognized as organized religion. They are becoming unaffiliated with religion in favor of the pursuit of knowing God better. In the survey world, this group of people are, are a part of the group called the nuns or the religious nuns, N-O-N-E, not like N-U-N, like that kind of nun, but the religious nuns because that is who they're religiously affiliated with themselves, with nun. Some Christian nuns may be active in their quest to find a new church that'll fit the biblical model. Good luck with that search. Some are home-churching, or are participating in a fellowship that's even more organic and authentic. They have a circle of friends who are also authentic children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, who teach and support each other. They help meet each other's needs where they're lacking. For others, it might be that their master, Jesus, is just simply providing them with a period of rest that he knows that they need. The percentage of adults who are religiously affiliated dropped by 7% from 2007 to 2014. One might attribute this drop in religious affiliation to people losing their faith. Or you might conclude that fewer people are being introduced to the faith, yet neither of these things appear to be true. Why do I say that? Well, one of the reasons is because another study Conducted by the Pew Research Center, says that 78%, or three out of four, people who do not affiliate themselves with any religious organization say that, quote, they were raised as a member of a particular religion before shedding their religious identity in adulthood, unquote. About half of that group said that they left their faith because of their lack of belief. One in five, or 20%, of that group expressed an opposition to organize religion in general. For some, their church was being run too much like a business. Another 18% of those who have left their former religion say that they became unsure about what they believe and are seeking enlightenment. There's over 73.6 million nuns in the U.S., again, N-O-N-E-S, in the U.S., who do not affiliate themselves with any religious organization. Out of that religiously unaffiliated group, that's a lot of people, 25 million consider religion to be either very or somewhat important to themselves. Certainly, that group includes those who have created their own unique brands of spirituality. However, this is also where many of the disillusioned, expatriated, authentic children of God live today. One would think with all the church options available to them in the United States that these 25 million people could satisfy their thirst for religion. But maybe it's not religion they're desiring at all. Perhaps what the study is calling religion is not what's important to many of them. Maybe what is important to them is the pursuit of knowing God and leaving what they have known as religion behind has been beneficial to that cause. Hmm, I wonder if I should write a book about that called Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. In another study conducted in late 2016 by the Barna Group, it was estimated about 24 million adults in the United States fit into the category of quote, loving Jesus but not the church, unquote. That number grew 3% from 2004 to 2016, around 21 million of them say that their faith is sincere and that they've made a personal commitment to Jesus. This group, you know, the 21 million, mostly holds orthodox beliefs. There's only one God who is all-powerful. He's everywhere, all-knowing, perfect. He created the universe and rules the world today. Let's look at what the cat is dragging in now. The church, when it's not been watchful for deception, has always been subject to allowing the cat to drag in anything. Remember, Peter identified Satan as the roaring lion. Well, that's the cat who I'm talking about. In the third century, when Rome was Christianized, the influences of the Roman imperial cult, Gnosticism, Neoplatonism and other pagan religions were heavily felt. Many practices morphed and were adopted into Christianity, and some are still very much a part of what Christians believe now, a part of our Christian religion. Today, what the cat is dragging in is a result of the influences of self centered, egotistical, comfort and gain seeking, as well as postmodern secular progressivism. Scripture no longer has one intended meaning there is no single truth contained in it it has as many applications meanings and truths as it does people reading it people have good reason today when they're critical of the bible and say who really knows what it means which jesus are we talking about who is it we're calling lord is it the jesus who can be proven according to historical and archaeological sources external to the bible Is it the Jesus of your imagination or the Jesus of the Bible? We have to ask this because seeking the authentic truth in the Bible is no longer the priority. Seeking comfort and support for one's personal point of view in the Bible is now the priority. Christian churches may start on common, what they call non-negotiable, ground. For example, they say that they hold to the Nicene Creed. They believe God is one yet a trinity, and that Jesus, who is God the Son, is the second person in that trinity. But from there, everything is up for debate. When pressed, they'll acknowledge all the rest who call themselves Christians likely are, but they hold different points of view on, quote, disputable matters, unquote. Basically, so long as you believe the nature of God is something like an egg, which is one, yet made up of three parts, the yoke, the white, and the shell, you're okay. These churches may start with the truth, but then they move away from it in all different directions until the God they started with has been changed enough to be no God at all. Like postmodern progressives, many pastors teach that what one does, says, and feels indicates where their heart is. So, one must engage in good works if one is really a Christian. They must support what the local church is doing. In turn, their deeds will signal to the world that they truly are Christian. Christians are asked to come together and act out on various social issues, protest abortion clinics, write letters to Congress against same-sex marriage, call them in favor of prayer in schools, and boycott Disney for hiring sinners They need to endorse political candidates who pass the litmus test of the day, and they need to march for Jesus. I have to hesitantly say that since I wrote False Christian Gods Choose Your Jesus Wisely, a new, really powerful and influential false Christian God has been born, or at least resurrected. And it's a God that has mostly been recognized And worshipped not by those on the left, but by the conservative side of the church. It's the God of deep state conspiracies and hatred of the established authority. It's a God of rebellion. Those who follow this God believe because of the evil plans that are being carried out by the established authorities, who is in alliance with the mainstream media, Satan And perhaps the Antichrist, who will soon be revealed, must be behind these evil plans. Therefore, rebellion in the form of noncompliance and outspoken disdain for the authorities is loudly called for. An example, or a very minor example, is the use of this phrase, Let's go, Brandon, which is code for F. Joe Biden. Besides being chanted at events where conservatives gather, it can be seen in videos that have been taken of large evangelical church services, people happily, wholeheartedly, and enthusiastically chanting, let's go, Brandon. This kind of defiance and blatant disrespect for those who the Bible says that Yahweh has put in authority over us is seen as some sort of virtue by the followers of this god but what would jesus peter and paul who all taught that the government and its leaders must be respected and obeyed think jesus telling us to render to caesar the things that are caesar's among those things is the ability to make laws and regulations over the land paul in romans chapter 13 told us to obey our earthly authorities because they are established by God and wield their power for a reason, a godly reason. Peter called on followers of Jesus to respect and obey the very emperor who was persecuting them, having them put to death, even dipped in wax, and set on fire to light the streets of Rome. Peter was likely executed by the same emperor he was telling people to respect. Believe me, I will never let the government stand between me and Jesus and what He expects of me. I will quietly follow Him. But the in-your-face things that I hear and see being done today in the name of Christianity and the name of Jesus are disturbing and a clear indication that we indeed do not all serve the same Jesus. Both liberals and conservatives who claim the title of Christian and that they, not the other side, are serving Jesus, are straying far from biblical truth, and they're moving towards their own relative truth of the postmodern false gods of our time. You know, this is just an observation, but if you ever find yourself at a rally over, pick your issue, and find yourself passionately involved, take a look around. If, when you look to one side, you see a person sporting a hammer and a sickle beret, and on your other side is a member of the Animal Liberation Front, and behind you is a person in a black mask who belongs to Antifa, maybe you should ask yourself how it is you ever got to that point to find yourself among them as your strange bedfellows. Or, If you find yourself protesting the outcome of the last presidential election, and you find your allies are neo-Nazis, proud boys, and constitutionalist militia groups, you should probably ask yourself the same question. I don't want to take up too much time here and alienate absolutely everyone I know and don't know. It's been nice knowing you, though. Thanks for listening. But what I believe the biblical thing to do about all of this... Is to not choose sides as the world or media would define the sides. I've been warned myself personally that I'm making a grave error by not choosing sides as the world sees them. The fact is I choose the uncluttered with the world side of Jesus. Jesus's side is not being a part of the world side. You want to choose sides in these worldly issues. I really don't believe you're going to find Jesus on either side of it. I mean, sure, there are things that appear to be more moral than others. But the world does not belong to Jesus currently. The world is the kingdom of Satan, according to Jesus. So, choosing the non-world side means not engaging the world in such matters. It's to stay away from the altars of the many gods of this world that would love to distract and deceive the elect as they entangle us with what people can start thinking is so important when it really may not be. Like I just said, as Jesus and Paul pointed out, this world is Satan's kingdom. Why should we expect it to be any less evil? I am sure Satan, the god of this world, Is absolutely thrilled with what's taking place with both the wokus and the Christian conspiracy theorists. Am I saying to roll over to evil? Not at all. We are all given a voice in our sphere of influence. In the US, we're given the right to vote, at least currently, and have representatives that we can contact and make our opinions known to. I can choose not to quietly support a particular brand and to not watch a particular news outlet. I can pull my kids out of a school and homeschool them. I can even meet with others in the name of Jesus without wearing a mask if I believe that that's the appropriate thing to do. But the Bible is clear on being separate from the world, about holding those inside the body of Christ accountable, but leaving those outside of the body for God to judge. In summary, the false gods, which are supported by the postmodern progressive Christian movement and the time-tested, self-centered, I will be like God movement are customizable according to one's own version of the truth, postmodernism. Yet, they are gods who expect you to gladly accept everyone else's truth also. They are the oppressive gods of doing good works to prove oneself a righteous person. And they are the gods of fantasy that will allow your dreams to come true, if you can only get the formula right. And now, we have a new way to prove our righteousness and allegiance to some of the latest gods of conspiracy and government hatred, the gods of rebellion. It's by not believing what the government says, protesting, and not complying with what they say to do that doesn't even interfere with our relationship with the one true God. That is the new form of righteousness that pleases some of the latest iterations of Christian false gods. The only known silver bullet to slay any false god, like THE CURE, is the TRUTH with a capital T. That is truth from our Creator's perspective that He has communicated to us in the Bible. Truth is the topic of the next episodes in this series. Until next time, if, Lord willing, there is a next time, may God bless you and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at H Ministries, and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at dughooley.com or email me at doug at Doughooley.com. That's doug at d-o-u-g-h-o-o-l-e-y dot com I'd love to hear from you This has been the Called Out Cafe So long and God bless Thank <laughs> you.